0: Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Hello there, friends. This is Todd Runstead. Welcome to another edition of the Toddcast Uh, You're in for a real treat again today, friends. Uh, We have with us today Dr. Jeffrey Bland. Uh, He is the president uh, now of Big Bold Health, and uh, we're going to talk about his new venture. Uh, You know, uh, he's really just a legend in the field of nutrition, science-backed approaches to supplementation. You might know him as the father of functional medicine, uh, the co-founder at the Institute for Functional Medicine. Uh, you might know him as a key driver of the personalization movement through his think tank, the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute, or maybe even from Metagenics. Um, Metagenics uh, is really just a just a classic physician only brand, although I have seen it in stores there. <clears throat> but he, he has served, had served as a chief science officer for more than a decade, ran a research team of a hundred plus scientists and clinicians, and. Um, you know, I he's worked with uh, Linus Pauling. Uh, he's one of the three most brilliant people in nutrition today, yesterday, and tomorrow, for that matter. And, you know, I can't even think of the other two. Um, so uh, we're in for a real treat. We're going to talk about uh, what Jeff is uh, thinking about, what he's doing, and, uh, and where we're all going. Uh, I kind of feel like the boy at the rodeo who pulls the rope on the chute when they let those suckers go. So, Dr. Bland, how's the pandemic treating you? Let's let's start there. <laughs> well, Todd, you know, for
1: all of us, uh, first of all, thanks so much for being able to have this conversation. Our, our history, you and I, goes back quite a few years, so it, it's great to touch bases once again. Um, this pandemic has been, uh, as has been said in the great literature of our time, uh, the best of all times and the worst of all times, probably more the worst than the best, but the reason I would even say the the best of all times is that it has really brought us back to kind of considering some fundamental values that maybe got lost in the shuffle when all things were available and we were running about in the world of jet travel and going to meetings all the time and not being at home and uh, and kind of living a frenetic lifestyle that uh, was cornucopian in its nature, but maybe lost some of the central value and purpose that uh, being quiet and isolated and thoughtful for at least a while can bring. So uh, to me, I try to buttress the horrible uh, tragedies, uh, economic tragedy, uh, some of the environmental tragedy, and some of the personal health tragedies that have occurred to people as a consequence of this horrible uh, virus, uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, I try to buttress that against um, some of the good things that have caused us to reflect re-energize repurpose re-engineer a lot of re's there Um, and that's what really actually got me at, at age of 74 into kind of getting the energy to start a new company which i i probably never thought uh at this age would be on my liner list of things to do but it has been really energizing and it's been a good place for me to put a lot of the energy of frustration and concern and, and also my, my feeling that every person has to do what they can do to reach out and help others. And, and so that's been kind of the motivation for me in, in getting started with this Big Bold Health.
0: Yeah, so Big Bold Health, I mean, to me, I, I've seen the products. I've, I've been taking the uh, HTB powder in my morning smoothies last few days. And uh, it, it's really all about rethinking immunity, let's dig into that a little bit what are we getting wrong with immunity is is the immune boost dead you know bye bye echinacea
1: <laughs> no it's it's certainly not dead but you know i came to recognize and again this is a consequence of the of the uh, covid uh, disaster that we're going through right now that our understanding and you know, the general understanding even within the well knowledgeable health conscious consumer public is pretty um, simplistic, that we don't really have a good uh, understanding of what we've learned about the immune system over the last, uh, even the last uh, 10 years. And that understanding something about the immune system uh, is the ticket to to better health on many levels, because the immune system exists in every organ of our body. And I, I think that the general concept that people often hold about the immune system is that it's these white blood cells that circulate around in our blood and seek and destroy foreign invaders and and have this important job of defending uh us from outside uh threat and and to some extent certainly that's true i I wouldn't say that we've learned that that's false but it's only part of the story because we now recognize that uh, there are immune cells and immune function that reside in every tissue of our body, including uh, in the brain, The so-called microglia cells are the brain's immune system in the liver. uh, The cells called the Kupfer cells are the immune system of the liver. Uh, In the muscles, there's these uh, myokine products that are developed by immune cells that are in the muscle. Even in our fat uh, and within our adipocyte mass, we have embedded Macrophages that become part of the immune system of our fat mass. So literally, um, every portion of our body. And of course, I didn't mention the most obvious place where the immune system resides. In fact, over 50% of our immune system is clustered around our gastrointestinal tract. So, our digestive system is is really uh, our functional immune system as well. So, in understanding the um, the dynamics that our immune system has in regulating our function which then translates into how we feel our health is uh, an opportunity for people to learn how to take charge of health in a way that can be directly operational can be directly uh, felt in terms of the outcome and can also be directly understood and it also helps us to understand that simplistic concepts like boosting an immune system may be too simplistic to be uh, really uh, able to deliver the, the the maximum value. Because if your immune system is already damaged or dysfunctional, boosting it only really perpetuates or uh, aggravates that, that uh, dysfunction or that imbalance. What you really want to do, and what we've learned over the last 10 years, is to renew the immune system or to rejuvenate the immune system. And that can happen at every age that a person exists. Maybe it can happen faster when you're younger but it still is uh, present as as we grow older into our, into our age years. And the way that the immune system rejuvenates itself is through this dynamic process that um, uh, results in every 10 seconds, the production of about 1 million new white cells, about uh, 20 or 30 million new red cells, and about 30 to 50 million new platelet cells, all of which are part of the immune system. So therefore, every month, if you think of it in some uh, capacity, say every month to eight weeks, uh, our body is regenerating its immune system. And then the question is, is it regenerating to be the same as it was, worse than it was, or better than it was? And learning the tools as to how to renew or rejuvenate the immune system, we can make it better than it was, not worse than it was. And that to me is the major new step over the the threshold that uh, 21st century immunology is teaching us.
0: So rejuvenation, do do immune cells get damaged, you know, like a free radical assault? And then can we actually eliminate, if not quench, a la free radicals, and then replace them? Is is that kind of what we're thinking about in this rejuvenation of immunity?
1: Oh, that that's a superb question. So there are really two uh, general mechanisms by which immune cells undergo injury. Um, and this has often been called immunosenescence, meaning aging in the immune system. And And here it's not just aging in years, it's aging in biology. And those two mechanisms by which the immune system can age are either through, as you indicated, damage to the genetic information encoded within the immune system, because every immune cell has its genes that regulates how it should function. So those genes can be injured, just like genes of any other cell in the body can be injured. That's called a mutational injury. And we can collect these mutations in our immune system that are bad experiences that our immune system has undergone, like post-traumatic immune experiences. And those injuries, um, it's called clonal um, uh, hematopoiesis, can lead into reproduction of injuries. It's like remembering bad experiences that then impact negatively our immune system. And actually what it does is it creates an immune system that's on guard constantly on alarm, which is called an immune system on fire or inflamed immune system. And so the the god of war, the color red, Mars, becomes part of our immune system. And this has been termed inflammaging, meaning this chronic uh, inflammatory condition that results from an immune system that's been turned on to think that it's living in a hostile environment. And that is uh, uh, in part related to these injuries that the immune system has collected. So that's that's mechanism number one. Mechanism number two is, is maybe uh, a little less dramatic in sounding, but equally important, and that is that these experiences that we have in our life, they could be psychological experiences, they could be from traumatic physical experiences like an injury, they could be infectious experiences like Epstein-Barr or cytomegalovirus or some bacterial infection like a severe flu, even uh, like the post-COVID long-haul syndrome. Those can leave marks on our genes that are called epigenetic Marks that can mark our immune cells uh, to have a different uh, kind of personality, how they how they uh, they respond to uh, our body and to the world. This is tied together with things that are uh, often under the field of of um, autoimmune disease. That people become seemingly allergic to themselves. They're actually not allergic to themselves. They're allergic to their body that's been. Uh, altered by experiences that get trapped epigenetically that then regulate in a different way the way the genes uh produce their outcome in the in the uh, immune system and they can produce the things that are known as inflammatory mediators like prostaglandins leukotrienes cytokines that that uh, induce um altered immune function uh, and and you know it's interesting to me if you um, are, as we all are reading about the COVID 19 condition, you hear terms that used to be reserved just to kind of uh, experimental immunology and immunologists like cytokine storms. Now what is a cytokine storm? Well, we know now that these are associated in patients that have COVID 19 with very serious. Uh, Uh, progression of their disease, sometimes going into fatal uh, outcome, because what happens is the immune system becomes unleashed, and it it, um, releases all of its inflammatory uh, capability, which normally would be used just to to kill a foreign invader, but now it starts to have bystander activity in killing the cells around it, which happen to be us, our host cells, and now the cytokine storm becomes then our own cause of death by an, an immune system that's Gone unbridled and unchecked and imbalanced uh, in a very uh, less critical way, that concept of uh, cytokine imbalance can be seen in individuals whose immune systems have been trained to bad experiences, bad experiences, meaning the the marks that are put on their genes, these epigenetic marks, and regulate uh, them to be in a constant state of alarm. Both those uh, causes of immune what I call imprinting of the cells or immune training of the cells, bad training, so to speak, um, are modifiable and can be regenerated. Because as I said, the immune system can restore itself. It can renew itself. But if the rate of production of these uh, injured cells and their longevity in the body is greater than the rate of production of the new cells, what happens is we undergo immune aging. And that reduces in our ability to mount a defense against a foreigner like a virus and it increases our resonant inflammation every day, we become inflammaged. And that paradox is the problem that we're seeing right now in our society with people that are having
0: serious outcomes from COVID-19. Inflammaging, that that is definitely a a new term. That actually, I I think just a little bit predates uh, the COVID-19 show that we've had. But cytokine storm, that is to me you know, I kind of pay a little attention here, but th- that seems to be a 2020 term. And, and so just as a little sidebar here, the cytokine storm really got a name for itself around elderberry, which is the 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 darling of the botanical set as it relates to uh, immune supplements. Could you just briefly tell that story, you know, about how it, it seems like that was misguided, but it, create, it created quite a little... Uh, a storm, if you will, a tempest. It, I guess it was a tempest in a teapot with a cytokine storm in elderberry earlier this year. Could you just, just describe that quickly for us?
1: Yes, uh, the, the term uh, probably um, reflects the concern just by the word storm. It doesn't sound like a good thing. Um, and these cytokines are produced by our immune cells in response to what the immune cells consider um, a risk or a foreigner or an invader. And and those can be outside factors, like uh, viruses or bacteria, or they can be inside factors, which are chemicals or substances that our body produces, that our body sees as um, injurious to our health and tries to mount a defense against them. Or it could also be things like in the outside world, like chemicals, xenobiotics, foreign foreign chemicals that uh, we're exposed to. Even drugs uh, can produce this uh, kind of... Uh, hostile response, certain drugs. That's one of their uh, potential adverse side effects. So the cytokine storm then is when the immune system gets so aggravated by the uh, its feeling that it's under risk and threat that it calls out all the heavy artillery and releases maximum force related to the production of these um, uh, guided missiles that are these uh, chemicals that are produced to produce inflammation to kill a foreigner. Um, and in so doing, the sto- that release can be so tempestuous that it's actually a storm that is not controlled at all. It goes from a, a small disturbance to a, a systemic storm that can influence the whole body. And in so doing, you get all the things that happen with serious inflammatory conditions, not only the swelling and the redness, but you get the blood vessels to break down, you get mucus formation, you get the fever, you get all the various things that the body tries to do to defend itself, but in overdrive. And in so doing, it then becomes the immune system unregulated, which we then can become killed by our own immune system. So that's the extreme edge of what is seen in the emergency rooms and the ICUs of uh, individuals that had the most serious cases of, of COVID, particularly with the release of these inflammatory cytokines like interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha, um, which are produced by certain types of white blood cells that have just gone wild, gone rogue. So um, that would be way beyond, obviously, what a person that this is kind of chronically immunologically imbalanced would be experienced. They wouldn't have that that serious storm. They might just have a little what we call cytokine disturbance, which is associated with their constant body being in this uh chronic inflamed state
0: yeah and yeah it it seems as if the cytokine storm is sort of like an, an end stage event you know like people are going to have that That's in the right. icu so so how did how did elderberry get get whipped up and caught up in that
1: yeah i think that uh what what happens and, and again this is uh could probably be applied to many um Uh, products that are used for uh, affecting the immune system, many nutritional products, botanicals, is that different botanicals have different influences on the different uh, types of of blood cells uh, within the immune system. The the immune system is composed of all sorts of different archetypes of uh, personalities of white blood cells. And they're, they're generally broken down into two families. One are called the T cells and the other called the B cells. But within those general classes, are many subclasses. So there are literally hundreds of different specific types of immune cells that are tagged to do specific things. Different um, phytochemicals present in different botanicals influence different components of that complex immune cell array in different ways. And if you have um, agents that activate specific types of the immune system, uh, then the question becomes, well, could you get too much of activation? Could it produce uh, something that doesn't lead to balance of the immune system, it leads to hyperfunction of that component of the immune system that can then becomes imbalanced and leads to injury. And, and this is what I was really talking about earlier when I was saying sometimes boosting the immune system is not what you really want to do. What you want to do is balance the immune system because if it's boosting one component because of some um, material, some let's call it phytochemical in a specific botanical, and it's boosting it to the point where it's actually over voicing its activity, now it can become a relative risk rather than an advantage. So that's why we've kind of moved our whole languaging in in Big World Health away from the concept of boosting to renewing or rejuvenating the immune system so that it finds its right balance. It moves from a state of imbalance to a state of balance then it's got more resilience, more headspace, more capability of managing the, the, the uh, offender without being in an overdrive or underdrive configuration.
0: You know, one of the things that I've, I've seen you uh, talk about, and, and you even mentioned it in s- twice so far now, and so I'm going to dive into this um, side of the pool, is the concept of immune system personality. That, that sounds fun. You know, and and it it really, when I saw that and heard that, I thought, well, of course this is coming from Dr. Jeff Bland. You really led the revolution of personalized healthcare. And now as if developed right here for this COVID moment, (laughs) you you have this idea of personalized immune function, this personality. And so you break everyone down into five different immune personality types. let, let's dig into those five, you know, including what to do about it. You know, the the balanced and the sensitive and, you know, let jump in, jump in. Talk about those. Yeah, thank types.
1: you. Thank you. So uh, once one moves into any field that has the complexity that the immune system has, you always uh, have to have some uh, humility <laughs> because you recognize that uh, there's a lot more to this and probably even the best uh, uh, immunologist in the world understands. There's lots to yet to learn. But uh, I think one of the things that we have learned, um, which we we feel, and when I say we, I mean the collective we, um, is that the immune system does break it down itself into two uh, categories. One are what are called the innate immune system activities that are the primitive long-standing immune system uh, functions that really go back uh, evolutionarily to the earliest organisms. And um, these are uh, cells like macrophages and neutrophils and monocytes uh, in our blood system that actually uh, seek and destroy foreigners by actually doing hand-to-hand combat. They uh, they wrap their arms around them. It's called phagocytosis, and they kill them by chemical warfare by bleaching them to death with uh, with hypochlorite, which is bleach. So th- this is the the process of uh, of, of aspects of the imu- of the innate immune system. The other component of the immune system is this more maybe sophisticated, more recently evolutionarily developed system called the adaptive or acquired immune system. And this is uh, the series of cells uh, that are often in the B cell line that uh, produce um, what I call air-to-air missiles <laughs> called uh, uh, antibodies. So they, they produce specific types of um, uh, proteins uh, that are unique to a specific offender, and they kind of glue them together uh, and to, by gluing them together, can transport them to sites where they can be broken down in the liver and eventually um, excreted uh, as as um, benign uh, byproducts. So you've got these two systems working for us, uh, the innate and the uh, acquired adaptive immune systems. And when everything is balanced, they work in hand-to-hand, uh, providing that first line of defense and the follow-up defense, and they even give rise with the B cells to long-term immunity through a certain specialized set of B cells, um, that then have memory of something we've been exposed to. So the next time we're exposed, our body's already poised and can respond to it quickly. That's called immunization or I- immunity. Now, all of that is great, but what happens if that system becomes imbalanced? And it can, be a, it, be, it can become imbalanced in a variety of different ways. And immunologists have been studying these imbalances for some time and subtyping the, the different immune cells in these different types and then mapping those uh, changes in the immune system to symptoms that people are experiencing when they have those imbalances, because certain um, symptoms associate themselves with certain types of immune system imbalances. This is, uh, to use a language, it's called immunophenotyping. And in so doing, uh, when you bring a, a group of experts in the field together, as we've done in Big Bold Health, people that are really skilled in the art of immunology, you can start to distill down some of these uh, clusters of symptoms that associate with certain dysfunctions of immune system cell types into different categories. Now, arguably, one could make this so complicated that you ended up with 100 different categories, or you could try to find what are the gross first-level categories that at least give you the first beachhead that you can start to define individual immune um, uh, uniquenesses among people. So it's probably not the be-all and end-all at the exact level, but it's at least the first level of segregating people into different immune types. And in so doing with our uh, immunology group, uh, we eventually came down to, uh, that there were four types of immune imbalanced, and then there was a fifth type that we would call balance. That was what we would all like to, to be, the balance between the innate and the uh, adaptive systems in, in proper response and balance. So what were those four types? And then we had... A, you know, listed all the different subtypes of immune cells that were associated with each of those types, and what were the symptoms associated with them. And then we wanted to come up with some names that were English names that didn't require you to be a specialist in immunology to understand them. And we wanted the names to be connected to uh, the kinds of symptoms that a person would ex- experience if they had those imbalances. So the names we came up with for our four uh, different uh, immune imbalance types are angry confused, sensitive, and withdrawn. And those then uh, characterize certain uh, symptoms that people have ranging from like the symptoms of angry associated with inflammation of arthritis to withdrawn, which would be the symptoms associated with allergy, um, uh, to uh, sensitive people who have various types of immune subpopulations that are more sensitive to various exposures to chemical and foreigners to confuse, which is kind of an immune system which has lost the regulation of the immune system the so-called t-reg system and how that then can uh, modulate the uh, overall balance of the of the system and each of these four subtypes these four immunotypes has a certain certain set of symptoms and signs that are more prevalently associated with them so that allowed us then to develop an immune identity questionnaire based upon the symptoms that people would experience in these four different types and to weigh the basis of the responses to the questionnaire as to what categories a person is more likely to fall into, knowing that probably no person is going to be just in only one category, but they're going to have a certain dominant category. Will it be more likely an angry immune system, or would it be more likely a sensitive immune system, confused or withdrawn? And from that immunotype or immunoidentification, we're then able to better ask, okay, what kind of a program should that be on? Should that person be on? What kind of personalization to their need might best allow their immune system to become balanced? So that's been the strategy we've been using in Big World Health, using our immuno identity questionnaire, followed then by kind of an evaluation of where their imbalance lies, and then how can we assist them by personalizing that approach to form a more balanced immune response?
0: And so is that something that consumers can go on to the Big Bold Health website and kind of take their personality test and kind of figure out, oh, I'm angry, confused, sensitive, and withdrawn, and and then and then would that direct them to certain supplements that they might look toward to address that?
1: Yes, the, the questioner is on the BigBoldHealth.com website, and it will give them a score, and it'll evaluate their relative percentage immunopersonality types uh, from angry, confused, sensitive, and withdrawn. And it will then uh, provide direction, not just supplements alone, but what kind of lifestyle principles, what kind of diet, uh, what kind of um, uh, nutrients might be most valuable for that type of immuno, uh, uh, phenotype to bring them back into balance. So it's, it's a first level. I Again, I want to emphasize it's it's probably not the be all and end all that we will get to years in the future, but it's a first beachhead for us to help to personalize the immunolo- immunological approach that a person might take for improving their overall health.
0: That's really cool. You know, I've been thinking about that lately, and I have to admit that you were the one that uh, you know at one of the NBJ summits r- really introduced this concept to me. And it's uh, so I, I guess my question is. There are a lot. There is an increasingly growing number of diagnostic testing devices that um, consumers can avail themselves of to sort of, oh, hey, let's check my vitamin D levels. Oh, let's check my omega three levels. Let's uh, let's send a stool sample in and and look at what my you know my my gut bacteria looks like. Uh, you know, all, all these things, there, there's an increasing number out there. I, I took one that had, you know, vascular flexibility as a way of measuring vitamin K2 levels. What what do you like that's out there? And, and what do you think is next? And what do you think is more valuable? You know, like I remember 23 and Me. they were sort of the first ones out of the gate, and they used to be able to provide a lot more information. And the FDA kind of put a kibosh on, on that information flow. Um, so what... what just talk about some of those things, some of those testing devices that are out there that that people can avail themselves of, and what what do you think about that, and and where do you think that's going?
1: Well, Todd, I, I think that uh, this is a really important frontier that we're moving across now in terms of um, it's not just biohacking. I think it started off actually with a group of kind of renegades that were biohackers that wanted to measure everything they could about their body, which is probably more than the average person wants to know. But now it's transitioning into a much broader kind of a consumer-wide opportunity as we see uh, the Apple Watch would be a good example, right? We start off with a a fitness device. And then before we know it, we have a, a cardiovascular pathology device. And now we have an oxygen meter device, all in the same wearable, which is not a medical device. It's a consumer health product. And with that, you can do all sorts of things, including with an Apple watch using just the uh, the cardiovascular and respiratory oxygen saturation components, you can start to understand something about uh, uh, your immune system and whether it's undergoing infection, because what happens, your res- respiration rate goes up, your oxygen saturation goes down. If you start to have a respiratory infection, uh, your um, uh Heart rate variability changes, it decreases. So there these wearable devices that we have um, we've we've seen starting to penetrate the general consumer marketplace that started as fitness devices, to me are going to be repurposed as health assessment tools because every one of those parameters that I've just mentioned, including such things as grip strength, yes, grip strength, <laughs> are related to immune function. And huh. what I'm saying what I'm saying probably for most listeners uh, is like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm not kidding you. There are literally tens of studies done on every one of those variables I just mentioned that ties them to immunological early stage functional assessment. So by recasting our view as to how these tools are used, these are kind of point of, pr- point of use uh, tools that individuals can access on their own. Um, like, for instance, right now we're doing a study, just to give an example of this, um, within, our, within our clinical studies group here at Big Bold Health, we're all now wearing uh, uh, continuous glucose monitors. And we're doing a, a two-week study looking at how various factors in, uh, influence our uh, continuous blood sugar levels. Now, if you've never done this before, uh, all I can say is when you finally do this, this is be one of the most revelational things that you'll ever have experienced about your, your body in your life, because what you will find is that your blood sugar levels are not just reflective only of the glycemic index of your foods. They're reflective of exposure to particulates in the atmosphere. They're uh, related to your exercise and fitness level. They're related to your stress levels. They're related to um, variables that relate to your sleep cycles. And so what we are starting to recognize is that what started off early on to be just like cute little tools for measuring fitness are now being reassembled and repurposed to be tools that really measure our functional status of our bodies of defense systems, our responsive and resilient systems, and how we will be protected or not protected against the ultimate exposure to something that causes us to be sick.
0: That is super cool. I mean, that that is a fantastic future, you know. And you you also talk about training for immunity, like wh- which is which is really kind of a, a an interesting concept. I I love how how you're taking a lot of these really sort of a uh, you know med school concepts and and really introducing them. To the, to the general public in ways that they can understand. So wh- when I think of, you know, when you say taking control of your immune system, like you would an exercise routine, people think, oh, you can build muscle. And so you're saying you could, you can actually build an immune response that's, oh, wow. inter- that's interesting, you know, what, what does that yeah. look like? And so let first let's talk about the non-supplement things and then we'll get to the nutrient aspect. But so let, let's talk well, about some of these things that you could do, I guess, with your lifestyle to, to train your immune system.
1: Yeah, thank you. C- could I um, just add one word to what you've just said? By the way, I thought what you just said was very well framed and, and well-spoken, um, but the one word I'd like to add is resilience. Um, because I think resilience is a term that's coming of age right now. When we renew or rejuvenate our immune system, what we're really doing is adding headspace to our body to accommodate change, which we call stress. Um, and stress can come from many things, psychosocial, chemical, physical, environmental factors can all cause our body to be uh, undergoing torsion or tension. And it's our resilience that allows that to be accommodated so that we never even knew that it occurred, it just passes by. As a resilience is lowered, however, now things that we would normally accommodate become prob- uh, troublesome. Now they produce symptoms. Now they produce a problem. So building resilience in our immune system um, by rejuvenation is extraordinarily important. And how does that occur? Just as you indicated, you can train your muscles and your cardiovascular system by physical training. So you can also train your immune system uh, to be more resilient. Now, in the past, immunologists would use the word training the immune system because it's been used in immunology for some time. When they were speaking about immunization or vaccination, they would say, this is how we train the immune system. We vaccinate it to be trained to be responsive to a specific um, virus or bacterium. Um, But our immune system doesn't get trained only by exposure to bacteria and virus. It gets trained by exposure to chemicals. It gets gets trained by exposure to um, toxic thoughts, to harmful events, to uh, poor diet, to sedentary lifestyle, to drugs and alcohol. All of those things have um, influence on training the immune system to remember those events and to respond to them even more vigorously the next time they're experienced. And so you start to get things like post-traumatic stress immune system retraining. And so how do you get over that? Well, just like uh, any kind of training program, you get into into an immune, in this case, an immune fitness program, which retrains the immune system because, as I said, our immune system is being remodeled and regenerated in real time every second that we're alive. And so what we want to do is give our stem cells that sit in our bone marrow, that are ultimately the, the cells from which all immune cells are made in all white, uh, red blood cells too, we want to give it optimal opportunity to make good decisions and come out as juvenile, fresh, spry, and, um, un, uh, and cells that are not trained already with bad experiences. And, and that has to do within, as you mentioned, a, uh, what I call a personalized program. So let's talk about some things that we know can help to retrain that system. One that comes from extraordinary work that Walter Longo and, and his colleagues at USC have done over the last uh, uh, decade or so has to do with um, uh, time-restricted feeding and, and uh, fasting-mimicking diet. Uh, the, the combination of uh, uh, Sasha and Panda's work at SOC and and uh, Walter Longo's work at uh, at USC has clearly identified that you can... Retrain your immune system to be younger, meaning to regenerate itself through this uh, time-restricted feeding or fasting-mimicking diet approach. So there is there's one way we use circadian rhythms or time as our as our value proposition for retraining the immune system. Uh, we also know that there are specific uh, uh, types of exercise programs, uh, particularly those that uh, combine um, kind of aerobic exercise with strength uh, increasing exercise and uh, elongation stretching. So it's this kind of CrossFit concepts. There's there clear evidence that that kind of training, not necessarily training to the point that you're trying to compete in, in uh, performance events, uh, that's certainly available, but for more of the individual that's just trying to initiate a way of uh, regenerating, retraining their immune system, It can be as simple as a vigorous walking program, stretching exercises, and uh, uh, some resistance exercise that could be done with stationary exercises like uh, push-ups, pull-ups, isometrics. Those simple things have been identified, again, to have positive effects on immune cell renewal. So here, here are just a couple of examples. I could go on and on, but these are things that you don't need a lot of tools for. They're not expensive. They're just part of being in a training program like you would think of fitness training.
0: Yeah, the, you know, in, in these COVID times, sort of we're rethinking vitality, which was maybe the word of 2018 into immune fitness. It's like the new, it's like the, the new multivitamin is an immune supplement. It sounds more accessible than genetic expression, uh, nutrigenomics, epigenetics, those have been sort of buzzwords uh, in in the in the insider business nutrition business for the last you know half decade or, or more. Sounds cool, but immune fitness it kind of sounds more digestible for consumers. You know, like y- you don't have to go for the cutting edge early adopters and talking about nutrigenomics and epigenetics and and how diet and and your environment can change gene expression, which is all true. But it's like, okay, yeah, gene expression, I sort of understand that. But uh, immune fitness, yeah, that's staring me in the face right now. I'm sitting, working out of my house, and there are my kids over there uh, trying to learn on, on the screen. Let's talk more about immune fitness. Are, are we are we in the midst of like this paradigm shift? Like it, it almost, in a way, it seems like we're we're coming we're coming back a little from from those really future sounding. You know, genetic expression as it relates to diet and supplements into just immunity, but it, but when we but when we characterize immunity as sort of the new buzzword for uh, for just for for just health, wellness, vitality, immune fitness, you know, and and the immune personality, it's like that to me sounds like oh we got something here.
1: Well, I think you said it actually beautifully. I, I was thinking as you were talking. This is back to the future. And the reason that I say that is the way that I got introduced into this is actually a back to the future experience and I'll quickly summarize. This comes uh, uh on a train ride from Harbin, China, the northernmost large city in China that's in between Russia and North Korea, 28 million people. On a train ride to Shanghai. It's 2600 miles. I was on the bullet train with my host. I was speaking to 10,000 physicians at a meeting in in Harbin. All the the heads of the various health check centers in China that are the family kind of primary care centers. And on the train on the way back, because we decided to take the train because there was a typhoon in Shanghai that was grounding the plane, so we decided to take the bullet train. And it was quite a, a trip for me. You know, this this uh, this bullet train goes over 250 miles an hour, and it um, is silent and it's vibration free, and you see all of the country of China just kaleidoscopically going by you in these big um, windows that are in the, in the cars. And so I was uh, speaking with my um, my, uh, my host uh, who is, uh, uh got his PhD in, in the United States but uh, it was Chinese, uh born and and I was asking him about something that I had been learning about uh, just just recently uh, that I wondered if he knew more about it. It was called, Himalayan tartary buckwheat. And I had been studying this just uh, kind of intellectually because I had found these uh, in the Yellow Emperor's Handbook uh, went way back when in, in uh, 1,500 years ago, history in Chinese medicine and, and some of the, uh, the the Chinese medical food lore, that this uh, particular food crop, uh, Himalayan tartary buckwheat, was considered kind of what I would call in American parlance um, um, a medicinal food because it seemed to have really powerful effects on what we would call, I would call from a Western perspective, the immune system. So I I got at, I asked him, I said, uh, Do you know anything about Himalayan tartary buckwheat? Well, it turned out that that question was like uh, the uh, entering into a wormhole that is now for the last two years completely uh, taken over my life because it turns out he was an expert in Himalayan tartary buckwheat for a whole bunch of reasons that I, I won't bore you with. But it led us then into recognizing that. This uh, this food crop uh, had actually, this is not common buckwheat. This uh, Himalayan turnery buckwheat has a different germplasm than common buckwheat. It's a, it's been used as a food in human consumption for more than three thousand years, and it has about a hundred times the immune uh, active nutrients phytonutrients of any other plant food, uh, and that of a common buckwheat. So it's like a treasure trove of immune power, basically. And um, so it, it ended up that this completely captivated me to the point that now I'm a tartary, Himalayan tartary buckwheat farmer because when, we came, when I got back to the United States and I talked to my colleagues uh, here in Big Bold Health, uh, I asked, you know, who is growing this Himalayan tartary buckwheat in the United States? And we could find only one producer, uh, in the United States at the time, uh it was a former uh, Cornell uh, agriculture school professor researcher uh, who also a farmer and his wife who was a nurse that had this very small he had he retired he had this very small family farm that he wanted to do something fun, so he got some seeds from the u s d a through the seed bank of this Himalayan tartary buckwheat, so he was raising a very small number of acres less than ten acres and then he he and his wife made flour out of it on this artisanal 100 plus year old milling equipment and um, was selling it at roadside stands and, and food markets during the summer. And so I, I got into a conversation with him and it turned out that he uh, just are, he and his wife, both are remarkable people, uh, just um, salt of the earth, good folk, really intellectually interesting. And he then introduced me to the fact that uh, something I didn't know that Uh, Himalayan ternary buckwheat was actually one of the first colonial food crops because it didn't require any fertilizer, pesticides, herbicides. It didn't have to be irrigated. It's extraordinarily tough and hardy, and it even likes bad soils. And it was one of the first foods that colonial uh, America lived on. Um, But it has an adverse disadvantage, and that is because of its very high phytochemical levels, they bring along a flavor profile, and it tends to be bitter. And so as wheat and other grains became more prevalent, then it kind of got away from the uh, uh, as the American palate wanted more sweet, salt, and sugar, and uh, and not not so much aftertaste of bitter. Then it, then all these crops went away, and it's such that he was the only farmer I could find that was domestically producing it. Well, to to make my story a little bit longer, I got so much interested in this and formed a partnership with with uh, Mister Beer, and now we formed a Himalayan Tartary buckwheat. Organic uh, growing cooperative uh, with other organic farmers to start to farm it. First, we had to make our own seed because we had to grow our own seed because you can't buy the seed. And um, so we we have our we've done genetic analysis on our seed. It goes all the way back to to tens of thousands of years ago probably, and uh, it's it's maintained its germ plasm throughout all this time because it's a self pollinator versus uh, normal buckwheat that's an insect pollinator, so it doesn't get hybridized easily. And it has this extraordinarily high level of uh, the symphony of these phytochemicals that include things like uh, rutin, diosmin, quercetin, uh, hesperidin, uh, luteolin, physitin. And it also has a unique phytochemical in it that is not found in any other food uh, at levels that are comparable, which is called 2-hydroxyl, uh, benzyl amine, which 2 benzylamine, which is a... Uh, pro- that's right, two HOBA is, and it uh, is a blood pressure-regulating uh, immune-responsive uh, nutrient. So I became totally infatuated with this and wondering why the heck this wasn't part of the uh, available crops in America. So now, this year, because we had a grower seed in 2019, and then we planted our 2020 crop and we harvested, got it off the land with our, with our new grower cooperative, and now we have 100,000 pounds of Himalayan tartary buckwheat organically certified, first ever in the world seed. So I'm really excited because we're doing clinical studies. We just uh, are publishing our first clinical trial, looking at the immune effect in individuals, showing significant improvement as they consume this in their, on their immune system function. So I think we've hit on something that is really going to be exciting because it can be grown by small farms at a profitable level. It's regenerative. It's organic. Uh, it doesn't require chemicaliz- chemicalization, and it can do things in the human body that I think no other artisanal product can do. By the way, it's obviously gluten-free, too.
0: Kind of sounds like, uh, like the, the new hemp of the roaring 20s, let's, let's just say. Uh, that, that's fascinating. I, I love hearing these stories of sort of a superfood discovery you know, like when, when acai came on the market and, and, uh, you know, you just keep hearing about all this. So what a, what a fantastic story. And boy, I, I would love to to get into Quercetin and how it works and to Hoba a little more. Um, but you know, we've, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of our, of our time here. So we're just going to have to, uh, save that for another time. So let's, let's, uh, and so good luck with with Big Bold Health. I love the name of the brand. I love the the new ingredient, the Himalayan tartary buckwheat. I just think that's that's fascinating. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if it's if, it, if it's good enough for Jeff Bland, ladies and gentlemen, it should be good enough for you. So so speaking speaking of, of famous people. You worked with Linus Pauling, is that right? Like many moons ago, many decades ago. Uh,
1: yes, I was. I I was on a two-year sabbatical as a professor at the time. This was eighty-one through eighty-three, and I I ran a nutrition research lab uh, at his uh, uh, Linus Pauling Sci- uh, Institute of Science and Medicine in uh, Palo Alto for two years. And by the way, uh, that's what actually kind of got me in uh, early on into this whole immunology or the molecular medicine field because. A lot of people don't know this, but when he was at Caltech, he and and uh, Delbruck were one of the first people to start to actually understand and to scientifically decipher the structure of the immune system through antibodies. They did the he did the first chemical homology of the proteins that make up antibodies. So, in some ways, Linus Pauling was one of the fathers of the uh, the field of immunology, uh, which probably most people don't know that. But there are lots of things that Linus Pauling was averse to, but that's just one of many.
0: You know, so Linus Pauling, he, he kind of gained his, his popular fame extolling the immunity, protecting virtues of vitamin C. There, there's been pushback against that from all the usual, you know, anti-supplement suspects shorthand. So Linus Pauling and vitamin C, was he right or wrong?
1: Absolutely right. 100%. No equivocation to that. Um, the question is, you might ask me now with more detail, well, what do you mean by right? Uh, does that mean vitamin C is good for everything at any dose? And and obviously, the answer is no. But uh, for the right thing at the right dose, well beyond that of the RDI, it has extraordinarily important value in immune system function. And I would just, uh, for those of, of you who are following the most recent news, know that there is, as of yesterday, a report out of Australia, really fascinating, uh, of a COVID victim, uh, 40-year-old, uh, I would call him young man compared to me, uh, who was dying from sepsis, uh, COVID-related sepsis. That's a blood infection. And he, they had run out of things to do and he was uh, he was losing kidney function. He was going through a multi-organ failure. And they thought there's only one last ditch thing we might try and that is intravenous infusion of vitamin C at very high dose. Over a period of a few hours, um, he remarkably um, improved within a couple of hours. Uh, they did a second infusion then over the course of the next day. And he was uh, pretty much clear of his, uh, of his blood infection and was on the way to um, recovery uh, from a near-death experience. So if we start to ask what we don't know <laughs> yet about vitamin C in the medical world, I think there's lots that Linus Pauling alerted us to that is still yet to learn uh, within uh, traditional medicine.
0: Fascinating! I love that. Yeah, intravenous vitamin C. I think that is uh, that that could cure what ails what ails you. That's uh, that might even prove to be even uh, more efficacious than duct tape in our in our lives. Uh, <laughs> la- last question, Jeff. The, uh, you're uh, we just got a couple minutes left here. You're you're a pioneer in the realm of personalized medicine, personalized healthcare. What does that look like? And in particular, how will that differ from what we see today in say i don't know let's say 2050 when we also have a zero carbon economy what does that deep future look like uh in in the realm of personalized healthcare, diet supplementation and how we uh how how we improve our lifespan how we improve our health span what do you think about that
1: well it's it's always a risk isn't it to be a prognosticator and try to set yourself up as a clairvoyant so i i will i will only speculate i've given you till
0: 2050 and so you know if you live 30 more okay. years, <laughs> if i do it'll be you're remarkable take all the slings and arrows that are coming at you
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
1: um it, that question really is the reason honestly uh, todd that we um that i started big bold health because i felt that that was really what i wanted to spend the remainder of my my life uh, working on is how do we go from health as defined as the absence of disease To health is defined as the presence of function allows us to do at any age what we want to do. And the only way you get there is by de-docking health being owned by the disease care system. Right now, health is actually a term owned by the disease care system. When we say health care, we're really talking about disease care. Health care has to reside somewhere else, outside of the disease care system. And I believe in the next 25 years, what we're going to see emerge is a healthcare system that will be equal to at the table in stature and scientific underpinning and formality and reimbursement to that of a disease care system. But it won't reside within hospital-based medicine. It can't because there are different language systems, different objectives, and different training. Um, and I believe we will see young women and men having a decision to make as they wanna go into some field of of human physiology as to whether they wanna go into the disease system or they wanna go into the healthcare system. And there'll be equal opportunity with equal ability to make gainful living in, in either of those. And I think this will be driven by the technology that is now becoming available to introduce people to their bodies in ways that were never before available. The intimacy, as I mentioned, that you start to understand yourself through a continuous glucose monitoring device brings you in concert with your body in ways that you would never know by just going once a year to your doc and understanding whether you're sick or not. And so we're going to witness a transformation and this transformation is gonna be chronicle and every year that I still take a breath through Big Bold Health as to what is really going on. What is the functional change in our system that is allowing us to have people empowering their own ability to create health out of and divorced from a disease care system. I ultimately see that a person might end up with uh, two different practitioners. Uh, One practitioner will be their stop-loss insurance or uh, coverage for disease and and be the entree point into the disease care system and the other will be their healthcare guide that will guide them and and, uh, assist them in developing their own personalized approach towards rectangularizing survival and and minimizing their risk to, uh, to functional disability. And I think that is where our future lies. And I think it's in the grasp. We don't have to invent it as sci-fi. The tools and the techniques and the concepts are there. We just need to formalize them, make them part of our commercial system that's going to create a new business opportunity, a several billion dollar new business around health that has not, has not existed. It will compete with the disease care dollar. So that, that's where I think is going. And I'm I'm happy through Big Bold Health to be part of that voice. And I would encourage people to go to our bigboldhealth.com website and become part of our community, our co-immunity, our community of individuals that are really focused on health and not just disease.
0: I love that. That that sound, it reminds me a little, there's that, uh, you know, old Chinese aphorism where, you know, it's, a, it, it's a, a bad doctor who has to treat someone with a disease and a good doctor uh, prevents that person from getting that disease in the first place. Something along those lines. And so, so uh, you know, back back to the future. That's where we are again right now. We've come up uh, around uh, the one hour mark. Congratulations, Jeff! You have beaten Mark Blumenthal for the longest of the podcast. <laughs>
1: and I didn't even get a joke in. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: we'll we'll have to rib him about that next time we're all together, um, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you uh, once again, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, President of Big Bold Health. Uh, you know, founder of Personalized Lifestyle Medicines Institute. I'm sure that's still uh, going on. Great speaking with you, uh, Jeff, once again, and uh, good luck, be well, and uh, we'll see you around the schoolyard one of these days. Take
1: care. Same to you, Todd. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.